Welcome, everybody, to the third episode of Falls Fugitive. I'm Dave. And I'm Caitlin. Before we get started, thank you all for listening. Make sure and hit subscribe so you'll be notified when new episodes are released. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about a serial killer who was lurking right here in Wichita Falls. Now, let's get started. Crime Stoppers of Wichita Falls, in association with Design Works Group, presents Falls Fugitive. In late December of 1984, a dark cloud began to loom over Wichita and Archer counties. A dark cloud that would continue to loom until May of 1986. Today, we are telling you the story of serial rapist and murderer, Arian Wardrip. But first, let's get some background info on Mr. Wardrip. Farian was born on March 6, 1959, in Salem, Indiana, and was the eldest of two boys. It appears he had a normal childhood, and it is important to note there's been no evidence of any kind of abuse that he may have suffered. He had a difficult time in school and ended up dropping out by his senior year. When he was 19, he joined the United States Coast Guard. While in the Guard, He was disciplined for smoking marijuana, for disorderly conduct, and several instances of AWOL. So, after six years, he was released and received a less than honorable discharge. Less than honorable is not dishonorable, but it does show that you had problems while in the military. This discharge would follow him around for the rest of his life. Five years later, in 1983, at the age of 24, he married a woman named Jonah, and together they had two children. During this same year, Wardrip worked at the Wichita General Hospital as a janitor, and in 12 months, he was promoted to an orderly. But with Wardrip's drug and alcohol addictions, his promotion was short-lived. He was unable to hold down a job and continued to bounce around from job to job. His wife's parents helped when they could. They would pay bills, buy groceries, and even pay their rent. But eventually, his wife would have enough of his inability to hold down a job and his refusal to take responsibility for his actions or his addictions. So in December of 1985, they separated and she took the kids with her. Their divorce was final in October of 1986. We are going to take a 30 second break real quick to hear from Crime Stoppers of Wichita Falls. Wichita Falls Crime Stoppers is a nonprofit organization that involves the community, the media, and law enforcement in the fight against crime. Cash rewards up to $1,000 are offered to citizens who furnish information leading to the arrest of felony crime offenders or the capture of felony fugitives. If you have any information about a felony crime, contact us at 940-322-9888 or you can visit our website wfcrime.com and you can submit a tip online using our P3 app. All right, welcome back, everyone. Now, let's move on to the victims. First, we have his first victim. Terry Lee Sims attended Midwestern State University in Wichita Falls while working as a part-time EKG specialist at Bethania Hospital. Now, keep in mind, this is just a few blocks away from where the Wichita County General Hospital stood at that time. The place where Wardrip worked as an orderly. Terry and her friend Lisa Boone finished 
working their evening shifts at 11 p.m. on December 20th, 1984. Terry caught a ride with Leeds so they could go to a mutual friend's house to exchange gifts. Terry had planned to spend the night at Lisa's house so that Lisa could help her study for a test the following day, but that didn't happen. Lisa Boone received a last minute call from the hospital asking her to come back into work and work the overnight shift. So Lisa dropped Terry off at her house approximately 12.30 a.m. on the 21st of December. She gave Terry a key to her apartment, her only key, and headed to work. Seven hours later, she returned home after working back-to-back shifts. Lisa knocked and knocked on the door to have Terry let her in, and when nobody answered, she went to her landlord and was given another key. No one could prepare her for what she found inside. The entire living room was torn apart, and not knowing what was waiting for her, she ran out and went back to her landlord to ask for help. The landlord followed Lisa back to her apartment and went inside. They found Terry Sims on the floor in the bathroom in a pool of her own blood. The Wichita Falls Police Department was called and they determined that she had been stabbed multiple times and sexually assaulted. All right, now let's go back a few hours. While Lisa was at work, Terry heard someone causing a disturbance outside. So she decided to go check it out When she got outside, she saw Farian Wardrip causing all the noise. When Wardrip saw Terry, he lunged at her, but she was able to run back into the apartment and lock the door. But Wardrip was no small man. At the time, he stood six foot, six inches tall and weighed about 220 pounds. He was able to break down the door, and when he got inside, he grabbed Terry and began slamming her five foot, three inch, 94 pound body on the floor. Because she fought back, he used some electrical tape to bind her hands, and it was estimated that Terry lived several minutes after the attack was over. A semen sample was preserved, as was a fingerprint that was found on her shoe. Over a decade later, the sample and print were found to be those of Farian Waldrop. Terry Lee Sims was buried at Crestview Memorial Park here in Wichita Falls. Okay, now let's talk about victim number two. While employed by the Wichita County General Hospital, 23-year-old Tony Jean Gibbs went missing January 19th of 1985. She was a small, petite girl, just over five feet tall, weighing only 94 pounds. Wardrop had been out walking all night and came across Gibbs at approximately six in the morning. Tony knew Farion because he had worked at the same hospital where she was a registered nurse. So she offered him a ride, and after he got in the car, that's when things went wrong. He began throwing her around the car, screaming at her, and demanding that she drive them to a field down a back road in Archer County, Texas. Her car was found just a few miles from the hospital some two days after she was abducted. And just one day after, she would have celebrated her 24th birthday. Workers came across her body just off 281 in Archer County. Gibbs' naked body was found in a field off West Gents Road, one mile south of Wichita County. As with Terry Sims, she had been sexually assaulted and stabbed to death. She had been stabbed in the back, chest, as well as having defensive wounds to her forearm. 
When the Archer County Sheriff got to the scene, they noticed a small abandoned trolley or bus near her body. While they were investigating, Gibbs' clothing was found inside the bus. It is assumed that the murder took place there. To Tony had initially survived the attack and had crawled almost 100 feet to where she then died. After the murder, her car was found where Wardrop had left it, parked on the street less than a mile from where he lived. Initially, police had another suspect in her murder, 24-year-old Danny Laughlin. He was known to ride his motorcycle in the area where she was found. He also met her at a nightclub a couple days before the murder. Danny had made some suspicious statements during his interrogation and had failed a lie detector test. Ultimately, he was tried for the crime even though all they had was circumstantial evidence. Even the semen DNA from the scene didn't match his. He was released when the jury on the trial was deadlocked. 11 of the 12 jury members felt he was not guilty and the district attorney decided that they didn't have enough to retry him. Tony Jean Gibbs was buried in New Mexico at the Clayton Cemetery. Let's take a 30 second break while we hear from a sponsor, DesignWorks Group. I love DesignWorks. They kind of pay me to say that, but whatever. DesignWorks Group is a marketing and advertising agency that has been around for 37 years. We would love to help you with your video production, social media campaigns, websites, and more. Call us today at 940-696-1229 and tell them I sent you. Heck, maybe they'll give me a raise. First, Kaylin, I'd like to say Crime Stoppers of Wichita Falls would like to thank Design Works Group for hosting our podcast. Craig, Sammy, and of course, my wonderful co-host, Caitlin, and the rest of the team. Guys, we couldn't do it without y'all, so thank you very much. Thank you. Now, let's move on. Marion Wardrop, still unemployed, decided he would head south to Fort Worth, Texas to find a job. Once there, he met up with his third victim, Deborah Taylor. He met her at a bar in the early morning hours on March 24, 1985. Deborah had been there with her husband, Ken, but he ended up heading home because he was tired and he wanted to get some sleep. Well, Wardrop struck up a conversation with Deborah and then, when he asked her to dance, she politely accepted it. When it was time to leave, he asked her if he could drive her home, and she accepted that as well. And once outside, Wardrop became increasingly upset because Deborah had refused his sexual advances. Not long after, he killed her and disposed of her body in East Fort Worth. When morning came and Deborah wasn't home yet, Ken called the police and reported her missing. Four days after she was reported missing, two construction workers found her body at the site where they were working. Now the murders in Wichita and Archer counties were not linked to this murder until 1999 when Farian Wardrop confessed to killing Deborah. Before Farian confessed, Deborah's husband was the main person of interest in her murder. Three lie detector tests were given, and he passed all of them. But sadly, once he became a suspect, his and Deborah's family turned against him. 
Deborah Taylor was laid to rest in Fort Worth, Texas at the Shannon Rose Hill Memorial Park. March 24, 1985 is listed as her date of death. On September 19th of 1985, Ellen Blau, a 21-year-old Midwestern State University student, was finishing her shift as a part-time waitress at a Wichita Falls restaurant. As she was walking to her vehicle to go home for the night, she was met by Ferry and Wardrip. Wardrip forced her to drive to a secluded area here in Wichita County. According to one of her coworkers and roommate, Ferry and Wardrip actually lived in the apartment below them. Her roommate told one of the deputies that Wardrip gave her the creeps. Ellen's roommate and husband told her that if she ever saw Wardrip outside, or anywhere for that matter, she should ignore him and keep walking. Ellen was very uncomfortable around Wardrip, and for a good reason. Miriam Wardrip was working just a couple doors down from Ellen's job at a fast food joint. Wardrip would end up killing Ellen Blau by strangling her and leaving her body in a field. He then took her car and drove it back into town and abandoned it. The police found Ellen's green Volkswagen in a parking lot with the keys and her purse still inside. They also noticed that there was blood on the edge of the front seat. That blood was later matched to Ellen Blau. Almost three weeks after she was abducted, on October 10th, a couple of road workers found her body just four miles from where he had left her car. Her body was so badly decomposed that they had to rely on dental records to identify her. Because her underwear was pulled down, it is believed that Wardrip had also sexually assaulted her. No semen samples could be obtained, and with no other evidence, the case went cold until 1999, when Ferry and Wardrip confessed to killing her, along with several other murders. She would be his fourth victim. Ellen Blau was buried at Nye Jacob Memorial Park in New Haven, Connecticut. Her date of death is listed at September 20th, 1985. On May 6, 1986, Wardrip struck for the fifth time. 21-year-old Tina Elizabeth Kimbrew, a waitress and bartender at a local hotel here in Wichita Falls, made friends with Farian Wardrip. One night, Wardrop followed Tina to her apartment and he ended up letting himself in. Once inside, he grabbed her, put her on the floor and smothered her with her own pillow. Prior to her body being found, neighbors reported seeing a white male, six feet, two inches tall. They said he had dark hair and was wearing some type of baseball cap and was walking out of the apartment complex. They told the police that they had seen him around before. They said that they thought the man was Danny Laughlin, who was suspected and tried for killing the second victim, Tony Gibbs. But this time, Danny was ultimately ruled out as a suspect because he didn't fit the description. Now, police were baffled by this murder. According to her friends, Tina didn't have any enemies whatsoever. It wasn't until three days later on May 9th that the police received a phone call about the murder. Now, Caitlin, get this. On the other end of the line was none other than Farian Wardrop. He was calling from Galveston, Texas, telling them that he was going to commit suicide. When the police got there, he made a surprising statement. He confessed to killing Tina Kimbrew because she reminded him of his ex-wife. Tina Elizabeth Kimbrew was buried in Vernon, Texas at the Wilbarger Memorial Park. 
Okay, now let's dive into the investigation. Wardrip was first convicted of Tina Kimbrew's murder and received 35 years. After he was paroled in 1997, he moved to Alney, Texas, a small town about 45 minutes south of Wichita Falls. There, he remarried and went to work at a screen door factory. In 1999, the late John Little, who was the lead investigator for the DA's office, started reviewing the cold case files for the murders of Terry Sims, Tony Gibbs, and Ellen Blau. While he was looking at all this information, he noticed that the DNA samples from the murder scenes where Gibbs and Sims were found were a match, which told him that they were both killed by the same person. His investigation also turned up a link that had never been seen before between Wardrip and Blau. He talked to one of the officers that worked the case and was told that while Farian Wardrip was on trial for Tina Kimbrew's murder, he admitted to knowing Blau. This information had always been there, but it was never followed up on. Heck, Wardrip even said, if the police would have just listened closer and paid better attention, they would have found a suspect much sooner. Pretty brazen. He was proud. With all that Chief Investigator Little had found, he felt there had to be more. And boy, was he right. He found evidence that would link Wardrip to three other unsolved murders. Now get this, Terry Sims lived just a street away from Ellen Blau, and Wardrip had worked at the hospital that Tony Gibbs worked at as a nurse. This is pretty damning evidence that would ultimately send Little on a mission. At this time, the police had the DNA sample of the killer, but they didn't have anyone to compare it to. Chief Investigator Little knew where Wardrip worked and lived, so he got a little creative. Little took a drive to Alney where he parked his car and waited. And his waiting paid off big time. While Little was waiting, he saw Ferry and Wardrip leave and go on break. He went into the store and bought a cup of coffee and some crackers. And when Wardrip was finished with his break, he threw his cup away and John Little went to work. He walked over to the trash and pulled out Wardrip's cup. It was sent to the lab, and what do you know? The DNA recovered the cup and matched the DNA found at the scenes of Terry Sims and Tony Gibbs. Varian Wardrip was arrested for those murders, and while they had him in custody, he confessed to killing Tony Gibbs, Ellen Blau, Deborah Taylor, and Terry Sims. Wardrip received the death penalty in 1999 for the capital murder of Terry Sims, as well as three life terms for the murders of Tina, Ellen, and Tony. In 2008, a federal judge ordered that the death sentence he received be reduced to life because of ineffective defense. Then, in June of 2011, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals reversed the lower court ruling. They said the state of Texas needed to either give Waldrop a new sentencing trial or a life sentence. Wardrop will stay on death row while his case is sent to the U.S. District Courts to reconsider. He is currently housed in Livingston, Texas at the Polunsky Unit. Farian Wardrop was back here in Wichita County just last year to file yet another appeal of ineffective counsel. Now, he's not appealing his conviction since he did say he killed them all. What he is appealing is his death sentence. Time will only tell how this is all going to play out. We wanted to include the trial process in this episode. However, there wasn't much of one to cover since Farian Wardrop stood up, confessed to each charge, and begged the courts for mercy. Now, 
Caitlin, I want to add a little bit about um, Chief Investigator John Little. Uh, when he went to work to, at the DA's office, he went to work as a chief investigator, and he was there for 25 years. Now, in November of last year, John passed away. The district attorney's office is selling challenge coins in John's memory. All the proceeds are being sent to John Little's family to help pay for the medical and burial expenses. Now, if y'all would like one, all you have to do is call investigator Dan Martinez at 940-224-6634. Let him know you heard about it on this podcast and he'll get you set up with a coin. Now, I've got two of them. I carry one in my pocket at all times and the other one I keep at home. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Falls Fugitive. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Crime Falls and like us on Facebook. We'll see you all next time. Bye.